so thankful today for gospel songs, new songs and old songs, but all songs that declare the truth of the gospel. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this opportunity to come and worship together. I pray, Lord, that you would move in a mighty way in this place, that you would speak through your word. We're listening. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, go ahead and have a seat and grab a copy of God's Word and turn with me to Romans 3. Romans 3 is where we will make a home. We are in the middle of a series called Gospel Fluency. And this series is really all about being intentional about knowing and being able to articulate the truth of the gospel. It's important that we mention this. We said last week that some of you may say, well, I don't really know some of these things we're talking about, but I think I'm saved. I want you to know that that is absolutely true. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, then you are in Christ today. You did not have to pass a theological exam to be into Christ's kingdom. Aren't you thankful for that? But Jesus has saved us, but we do believe that it's important for us as the people of God to intentionally know the truth of the gospel so that we can articulate it together, so that we can speak it, live it, and walk in it. So that's what we're doing. We talked last week about the wrath of God, which, uh, if that sounds crazy to you, it was a little bit crazy, all right? I'll just throw that out there. In fact, I will say, for me, this week is kind of one of those weird messages where I know, I'll just be honest, I enjoyed preaching that last week. Now, that sounds like I'm kind of one of those, like, hellfire and brimstone guys, and that's not what I mean by that. I love talking about the wrath of God. That's not what I mean by that, okay? But but here's the deal. Last week when I was like, hey, y'all, today we're talking about the wrath of God. Like everybody was like, oh, like everyone like sits up a little bit and they're listening and they're engaged and they're like, what's going to happen? Well, today is really probably for most of you, especially if you have a church background, probably a somewhat familiar passage and familiar teaching. So here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to do what I've been doing all week. I want us to seek the Lord. We're going to read through our text here in a few minutes and pray together. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to ask the Lord to speak to you in such a way today that makes the gospel message fresh to you in a way that you haven't experienced before. Uh, Because sometimes the old familiar story can become old to us. And we don't want that to happen. We want the good news of Jesus Christ to be as real and meaningful as it has ever been to us. So uh, we're going to do that. So I'm glad you came today. In fact, if you're visiting with us, if you're a guest with us, you came on a great day. And I know it's the busy time, so you can tell there's a lot of empty seats around you. They're missing an epic day. Why? Because we are going to answer the most important question ever. And I never speak in hyperbole, okay? Uh Wait a second, why are y'all laughing at me? The most important question ever. Now, uh, if you're kind of interested in things like that, uh, like I am, last week I googled what is the most important question ever. What does our culture say is the most important ans- question that we need answered in our world today? There were some good ideas. One said, uh, what am I going to do with my life? That's probably a good question to be asking, right? Uh, and we're going to be celebrating graduating seniors here in a couple of weeks. Some of you may be asking that question. What am I going to do with my life? Another good question was, uh, who am I going to marry? That's another good question, depending on stage of life. You may be thinking about that. One question was, how can I best serve others? That's another good question. 
Uh, probably the weirdest one is I was on a philosophy website. You know, I'm, I'm known to peruse those from time to time. Very philosophical. Uh, so I had like, you know, uh, elbow pads on my, you know, sports coat and was just researching, smoking a pipe and reading about philosophy. All, all the bits I can get in there. I don't even know what's, sorry y'all, it's second service time. You ready for this? All right. Uh, but their question, the most important question ever, according to many philosophers, is why? That's it. Why? So I'm going to tell you today that you don't need any of those, okay? Uh, those, those all may be important questions to ask and consider in your life. But today, you don't need to Google it. The most important question ever for us, every single one of you, regardless of your life position, regardless of where you're at, regardless of your background, the same question is the most important for every single person on this planet. And the question is this, how can I be right with God? How can I be right with God? How can I make sure that God and I are okay? How can I make sure that I am right with God? Today we're going to talk about how we can know this. And understanding the gospel, if we're going to become gospel fluent, it's certainly important to know the answer to that question, isn't it? So let's uh, read the word, Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21, and then we'll take a moment to pray together. Verse 21 of Romans 3, the word of God says this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? I, I want to give you right now, each and every person here, all those watching online, I want to give you just a minute to seek the Lord personally. And I want you to ask God to speak to you in such a way that the gospel becomes fresh to you today, that he speaks to you in a mighty way. Just ask God to speak through his word. Lord, you have heard our prayers. Would you speak to us? We're listening. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, we are here in the book of Romans. You may remember from last week we said that Romans has the most comprehensive explanation of the gospel all in one place that we have in all of Scripture. In fact, some would say that the passage we just read is the most important theological passage in all of Scripture. When it comes to understanding Jesus and his gospel, the passage we just read is the most important theological passage. So, with that said, why don't we get a little theological? You down? All right, a few of us. Great. All of you are coming, so buckle up, all right? It's happening, whether you're ready or not. So 
the word justification, we don't see that word justification in the text. We do see words that point to that, right? We see that it talks about being justified. We see the justifier. We see talking about being just. But this passage is about a word, a theological term that is justification. Now, the word justification is the process of us being made just or made right with God. The idea of justification is that we are made right with our holy God. Our sins are paid for and we become perfect and holy. Some have defined justification with the little saying, just as if I never sinned. When we are justified, it is God cleansing us of our sins and giving us new life. This is the very essence of the gospel. And the passage that we just read is the heart of justification. It talks about Jesus' work on the cross and how his work on the cross makes us right with God. So before we dive into this text, let's just kind of recap for just a minute and talk about what got us here. Some of you may be thinking when we talk about justification, why do I need to be made right with God? So you're saying that, that there's a problem and I need to be made right with God. Uh, I don't really think that God and I are in a bad way. I feel like God and I are okay. I'm doing good. Why do I need to be made right? That's why it's important for us to start this conversation today by talking about the problem. And the problem is everyone is guilty. Everyone is guilty. We talked again about God's wrath last week, and some of you may want to go to Crossroad.live or the Crossroad app to listen to that to kind of catch up. But we're going to talk about some of those same themes here. But after talking about God's wrath last week, I feel like there's probably a couple groups of people. Some of you went to lunch and you sat there at the table and said, that was a little much, wasn't it? I guess this is a little harsh. I feel like we're really, that that was just, I think I'm okay with God. I don't understand why Rusty was talking like that. And some of you on the other side of the equation were probably going to lunch and saying, you know what, it's about time he addressed those sinners. Was that most of y'all? I mean, based on that, yeah. right? Like, it's easy for us to kind of fall into one of those two camps. I love what Paul's going to do here, though. Paul, in chapters 2 and 3, basically addresses both of those audiences. In the beginning of chapter 2, he says, hey, it doesn't matter how religious you are. It doesn't matter if your mom, your grandma, and your great-grandma went to the church. If your great-great-great-grandma was a charter member of your church. It doesn't matter your religious background. You are guilty before God. And at that point, I'm sure that the people were like, yeah, Paul, you get those religious people. And then Paul comes from them. He says, you too are without excuse. Nobody is righteous. It's easy for us to point fingers at everybody else. But what Paul would say in the Bible very clearly says, hey, all of us are guilty before God. He goes to great lengths in chapters 2 and 3 to show us that regardless of your background, regardless of how much you know, regardless of how good you may think you are, at the end of the day, we are all under the wrath of God because of our sin. In the first part of chapter 3, he finally just comes out and says it. He quotes several Old Testament passages, all of them being summed up by this, no one is righteous, no, not one. That's a rough message to hear, right? Uh, I told someone earlier this week, you know, Oprah's like, you get a car, you get a car, you and that's like, Paul's like, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. Not as popular, not as popular. This is not a fun message for us to hear, but you need to understand, for us to understand the remedy, we've got to know that every one of us is guilty before God. This is our situation. 
We are born sinners. Sin is a feature that comes standard in humanity. Sin is anything we do that's out of the will of God. So there are sins that we do something God doesn't want us to do. There's also sin when we don't do something God wants us to do. So anything we do outside of what God directs us and wills us to do is sin in our lives. And all of us, no matter how good you think you are, we are all unrighteous. We don't measure up to the standard that God has called us to. God's holiness and perfection requires that we be perfect and holy to have a relationship with him. But the reality is we are not perfect and holy. Paul said it right here in verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. God is perfect and holy and we are not. If you're not convinced, let's just run a quick test. Every single one of us in here failed the basic morality test today. Let's just go back to the Ten Commandments, okay? This isn't going to take long. Have you ever lied? Guilty. And if, you're, if you say you haven't lied, you're lying about never lying. So there you go. Have you ever coveted? Have you ever wanted something that somebody else had? Guilty. And even if some crazy, in some crazy alternate universe where you're like, hey, I think I've knocked out all ten of those. I'm killing it. Even if you've thought that, Jesus is going to take it up a notch in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you've heard it said that you shouldn't murder. But I say to you, if you've had anger towards someone, you've murdered. Yikes, right? He says, you've heard it said that you shouldn't commit adultery. But I say to you, if you've looked at someone with lust, you've committed adultery. It doesn't take long for us to see that we do not measure up to God's standard. We fall way short. It's not even close. And once we're aware of this reality, really the only hope is for us to try to make ourselves right with God. So throughout human history, this is what we've seen. In fact, you go to the Old Testament, you see the people of God desperately trying to struggle their way back to him. We see the people of God doing whatever they could to get right with God. They would come together and they would uh, worship. They would travel great distances to go to the temple and they would do sacrifices. They would atone for their sins and they would be like, finally, we're right with God again. Then they would load back up on their camels or whatever critters they rode to the uh, Jerusalem. I don't even know. Uh, and they're headed home and they're going on the Jerusalem highway. And all of a sudden, another camel cuts them off and comes into their lane unexpectedly without using a blinker. And they go, beep, and do some hand gestures to them. And they're like, I'm not even out of Jerusalem, and I'm a sinner again. You see how this happened? Let me just tell you something. You cannot keep the law of God on your own. It's absolutely impossible. Yet the only way to be made right with God, apart from Christ, is to follow his law perfectly. You can be righteous and holy if you can perfectly keep the law of God. But good luck with that. The Old Testament has 613 commands that God gives his people. The reality is they tried, but it was hopeless. Many of you may be just like them today. We try to make ourselves right with God. Maybe if I come to church enough, maybe if I do enough good things, maybe if I tithe, maybe if I serve, maybe if I... Nice to my neighbors. The truth is we can never do enough. Our best attempts at righteousness end up failing. 
And here's what I've run into, even when I'm killing it in a good way, all right, like not the murder way, but just doing really good. And I feel like, man, God must be really proud of me. Guess what happens? I'm following all the commandments. Prideful. Boom. I'm a sinner again. Do you see this? The Bible says in Isaiah that our most righteous deeds are as filthy rags compared to the righteousness of God. So like the very best thing you do, like if you were standing like right now, if you were to go home to be with the Lord, it'd be awkward for the rest of us. It'd probably be awesome for you, right? It just said make a weird church service. Nobody do it. All right. Okay. But if you went to be with Jesus right now and stood before God, the thing that you would say is you tried to push your spiritual resume across the table. The number one thing you would want to tell Jesus, hey, Jesus, I did that. The Bible says that's his bag of dirty laundry before the Lord compared to his righteousness. You cannot measure up to the standard of God's righteousness. No matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, you can't do it. This is the cycle, though, that we've been involved in, that humanity has been involved in since the fall in Genesis 3. But this is where the good news comes in. Because verse 21 tells us something that we certainly need to know and understand. But now, so before this point, everyone's guilty because everybody is held to the standard of the law. And unless you're perfect in keeping the law, you are a sinner. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Apart from the law. Don't miss what's happening here. The law has been the standard, the only way for us to be right with God. But now, Paul says, there is a better way. Church, this is the remedy. This is the remedy. Verse 22 says, the righteousness of God for all who believe through faith in Jesus Christ. For all who call upon Jesus as Savior, we receive the righteousness of God, not because we're good people, not because we're awesome, not because we did a bunch of good things. No, because we have a God who loves us and gave himself for us. What's so amazing is that in this passage, Paul's going to describe to us how Jesus' work on the cross actually makes us righteous. How this happened, the atonement, how Jesus came and made us right with God. We've already said this, but for God to be consistent with his character, for him to be consistent with who he is, he cannot just allow sin and rebellion towards him. A just God must punish sin and sinners. Otherwise, he is not a just God. So all of us are under the wrath of God. But God's love for us led him to go to great lengths, as Paul says in this text, to be both just yet also the justifier. You and I could not pay for our sins. There was nothing we could do to make ourselves right with God. We could not do anything. In fact, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. What we deserved and the only way we could respond to our sin is to die and spend an eternity separated from God. That's what we deserved and that's where we were headed. And a just God acts in a just way when he has wrath towards sin and sinners. And we were in that group. Yet God loved us enough that he sent Jesus, God himself, to come down 
and take on flesh. And he lived a perfect and holy life. And that perfect and holy life and submission to God the Father led him to the cross. Whereas he hung on that cross, Jesus absorbed the wrath of God that every single one of us deserved. It was poured out upon Jesus and he paid the price for our sins. Jesus, God himself, came and took on his own wrath so that we could experience his love. Do you see how epic and mind-blowing this is? This is what Paul means when he says, so God can be just and the justifier. A just God punishes sin and rebellion, so he is just, yet he is also the justifier, because he loved us enough that he sent Jesus to make a way for us. So he is a just God who punishes sin, but he is a loving God who is a justifying God for all who call out upon him and say, be my Savior and be my Lord. Aren't you thankful for the doctrine of justification today? He is a justifying God. He is a just God. That's so important. But he is also a loving God who justifies us. Can I tell you something? Maybe this is making you think in deep ways today, I want to just encourage you to let that happen. God is way bigger than you think. God is not just your spiritual mascot. It's what most of us do, right? Like when we need a little spiritual pick-me-up. Hey, God, do something. And we think that God's just kind of there to encourage us and, you know, like, hey, God, I'm kind of down today. Help me. But God is so much bigger The justifier, but also a just God. Two sides of the same coin. This is our God. A holy and just God, yet a loving God who makes a way for himself to be just and the justifier and for us to be just and justified. Aren't you thankful for that? This is a game-changing truth for us. That this holy God who is so high above us loves us enough that he wants to have a personal relationship with us to the extent that he is willing to come and take on his own wrath so that we could know his love. This is the power of the gospel. When Jesus died on the cross, not only did he pay the price for our sin, so it's not just like a clean slate and we get to start over, because guess what? If that was the case, you'd have a, I guess you call it a dirty slate, a week later. Right? Like he could just say, hey, boom, second chance. And we say that sometimes. Hey, he's a God of second chances. Aren't you glad for that? You don't need just a second chance. You need like a third chance and a fourth chance and a, we're going to do like your kids, infinity chances. All right? You are not going to be able to make yourself righteous. God didn't come to give you a second chance. He came so that you could die to yourself and experience new life in him. Brand new life. The Bible says that every morning his mercy is new. And can I tell you, you need that mercy every day. You're going to on this side of eternity. He didn't just give us a clean slate, but when we call on him as Lord and Savior, his perfect and sinless life becomes our perfect and sinless life. So not only is the record clean, and it is, but we actually have his perfect and holy life applied to us. So when God looks at you, he doesn't just say, okay, no sin there. But instead he sees clean and holy, but also 
Jesus' perfect obedience to God is applied to us. So when he looks at us, he doesn't really see us at all. He sees Jesus because of what Jesus has done for us. So we have a holy Savior, so we are holy. We have a sinless Savior because he is, because we're sinless because we have a sinless Savior. You know what I'm saying. Maybe you don't. We're holy because of Jesus and we're sinless because of Jesus. So there's a big theological word that's used here. We're getting super theological today. I've, got, I've given you two theological terms today. So, by the way, this isn't just like my attempt to sound smart. I wouldn't try that. You know me too well, all right? Thank you, Bebop. All right. <laughs> but can I tell you that theology is really important? This isn't just us trying to get smarter so we can feel better about ourselves. What we believe and what we live is based upon our theology. So I'm not just trying to make us, you know, like a smart, nerdy church, okay? But I want us to understand these truths. So justification is so important. And then this word propitiation is huge. Propitiation. It's a crazy word, but here's how we like to define it. A real simple phrase. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. The theological definition would basically be this. The wrath of God was satisfied when Jesus died on the cross. Meaning that when the punishment was given to Christ, when he absorbed the wrath of God, that he completely paid the punishment and the price for our sins as he hung on the cross. That is what propitiation means. So we say it, Jesus paid it all. It was a price that you and I could not pay, yet he did it for us. The full price of our sins. He's purchased our freedom. We're no longer slaves to sin and darkness. We have been delivered. We're free to live and to walk as a holy and righteous people. This is the doctrine of propitiation. So the question becomes for us today, how does this work out on a personal level? We've been saying Jesus died on the cross for all of humanity's sin, past, present, and future. Is that just like an automatic thing we get for being human? Well, no, because the Bible has spent three chapters saying you're guilty. So how do we respond? Today we need to talk about the response. The response. The gospel of Jesus Christ demands a response from us. It demands a response. Have you ever responded to the message of the cross? Now listen to me, church. I'm not asking if you've come to church regularly. I'm not asking if you're a good person. I'm not asking if you give and if you serve and if you do enough good things, if you're reaching out to your neighbors. I'll just tell you what concerns me today. I talk to people about their faith story and I ask them, do you know Jesus? Tell me about how you came to know Jesus. And Listen, again, I'm not trying to get anyone to pass a theological test. Like, I don't need you to be like, well, I was justified because of the propitiation of Jesus Christ. I don't need you to do that, all right? But can I tell you what I hear a lot of times that concerns me? Well, I've been in the church my whole life. Can can I just tell you something? You can be in the church your whole life and not know Jesus. Have you had a moment where you actually responded to the message of the cross? Have you had a moment where you recognized that I'm a sinner and because of that, I'm separated from God. I I need him. 
Have you had a moment where you called out to him and said, I'm a sinner and I can't save myself, but you died on the cross for me, so be my Savior and be my Lord. Have you had that moment? You need to know today that your good works will not save you. Your service to this church will not save you. Only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus can give you life that comes with a restored relationship with him. Verse 22 says that God gives the righteousness of God through faith in Christ for all who believe. Verse 25 says Jesus is to be received by faith. This is the response today. To place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Do you know him today? Have you responded to the truth of the gospel If not, then let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the day that you say, I'm not just going to come to church. I'm not just going to be a church person. I want to be a Jesus person. I want to surrender my life to him. I want him to be my Lord and my Savior. And then your story becomes his story. God wants to change your life today if you'll let him. So there's a couple groups of people in here I want to address. If, if you're listening today and you're like, man, he's talking to me. I don't know Jesus. We're going to have a response time here in a few minutes, and our pastors are going to be up front. Me and Pastor Bob will be ready to receive you if you want to talk about what it means to follow Christ. And I want to ask you just to be bold enough to step out and come talk to one of us. Say, hey, I need to know what it means to follow Jesus. But there's a lot of us in here who would say, hey, Rusty, I've done that. Like, I I know that Jesus is my Savior, and thanks for preaching the gospel for those other people. But can I tell you, this message was for each and every one of us today. Are you walking in the truth of the gospel today? Are you still trying to earn your salvation? I know I catch myself doing that. Like, I still, even though Jesus has justified me by his blood, like, I do a good thing, and I'm, like, looking at God, like, eh? you see that? It's pretty good. Some good stuff down here. Can I just tell you, we don't need to earn what has already been freely given. I'll tell you something. If you're a Christ follower, there is nothing you can do to make Jesus love you more than he does in this moment right now. Some of you need to hear that today. That Jesus loves you right now with a ridiculous love that is beyond description. You know why? Because his love for you is not based on you being good. It's not based on you checking off all the right things. His love for you is based on his completed work at Calvary. So you know what you need to do if you're a Christ follower today? You need to preach this gospel to yourself each and every single day. You need to get up and say... Jesus has saved me, and because of that, I am free to live for him with joy, with happiness, with hope. And when I mess up, I can say sorry and continue living in joy, hope, and freedom because he has saved me. Some of you have never really lived the joyful life of following Jesus because you've still been acting like he's up there keeping score on you right now. Can I tell you, he shut the scoreboard down when he died on the cross for you. 
If you are in Christ, you need to live with joy and freedom today because you can walk in his love and let his love transform you as you follow him. We're going to respond here in just a moment. I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to sing a song together, a wonderful song, a song of faith. Jesus paid it all. Our musicians can make their way up here. And after we complete that song, I'll ask our ushers that are helping with communion, during the invitation, you can just make your way back there and be ready to help. It is the first Sunday of the month. We generally observe communion on this day. And some of you may have thought, oh, man, what an awkward rookie mistake. Rusty forgot. But I didn't. I wanted to do this at the end of this message. Here's why. As we're reminded of the truth of the gospel, what better way to end this time but to receive communion and think about the broken body of Christ and the blood that was shed for us. I mean, this is the gospel, isn't it, that we're observing today. So I want to encourage you, if you're a visitor with us, we practice open communion. Uh, what that means is that if you're a believer, we, we just want you to observe this with us. You're welcome to if you want to. Uh, if you're not a believer, then we're glad you're here. You can just let that thing pass by you. You don't have to just do it because everyone else is doing it. You can just be a part of what's happening here. But before we observe communion, what we'll do right now in this time is sing and worship. And I want you to prepare your heart for observing communion. And again, if you don't know Jesus, Pastor Bob and I are going to be making ourselves available right down here at the front of this room. And we want you during this song to come and say, I need to know what it means to follow Jesus. So will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the call that it brings to us. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for making us right with God. At the end of the day, the most important question is answered by your work on the cross. You are the answer, Jesus. So I pray that we would know you, that we would cling to you. Or are there people in here who don't know you? I pray that today would be the day of salvation. God, I pray for those that do know you, that as we prepare our hearts to observe communion together in a few moments, Lord, I ask that you would Make this a strong, stark reminder of the truth of the gospel. The price that you paid so that we could have this relationship with you.